This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Amanda Delheimer. So here's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I believe that one of the truths of human existence is that we all only have our own point of view from which to operate as we walk through the world. I can try to imagine what it's like to be tall or Muslim or a man, but I won't ever have that experience as I walk through the world. I have to rely on the stories of others and my own practice of empathy to get even a modicum of insight into somebody else's experience. This is one of the things that I love about the story that we are sharing today, how it gives me a window into a young girl's experience and creates an opportunity for me to fully imagine what it would have been like to be Kim or her mother. In a story about determination, dignity, and dishware, Second Story presents Kim Hunt. My mother's love of pretty things was her inheritance from my grandmother, who moved her family from rural Louisiana to Kansas City, Missouri, just before my mother was born. As my grandfather's only child and the only daughter of my great-grandfather's baby girl, my mother occupied a place of royalty in my family, especially among our southern relatives. They treated her like a princess when my grandparents made annual trips back to Louisiana. Now, Kansas City wasn't the South, but it wasn't not the South either. <laughs> Those strong southern ties revealed themselves in my mother's manner of speaking, her cooking, and her name, Pinky LaVon. She also embodied the quiet defiance of Southern people who powered through their trauma with politeness and deft smiles. As a little girl, I bore witness to the laughter and stories of my mother and her friends, fearless, magical black women, just one generation removed from the South. During weekly card games, she and her girlfriends shared tales about raising kids, dealing with white folks, other people's business, and holding on to their men. Sometimes I'd catch the opening lines of stories about the sweetness of making up after yet another fight with husbands, boyfriends, or unnamed lovers. But before the details were revealed, someone would discover me in a shadowy corner or under a table, and my mother would shout, Kim, get out of here and go play. I would reluctantly leave their company, disappointed that I was missing yet another chance to hold the secrets of adults. I have a memory of my mother from when I was about seven. She was studying an in-store promotion during one of our weekly trips to the Kroger. It was a poster showing a four-serving set of dishes for 500 pennies. For a long time, my mother stood there looking at the picture, reading the words, even the little ones. I knew from how she studied that poster, she wanted those dishes badly. We ate our meals on worn plastic dishes. The ones in the store ad were special occasion dishes. They looked like fine china with little pink roses on them. Now, it was the late 1960s, so who knows what cancer-causing material the dishes were really made of. <laughs> but that didn't matter. My mother was already picturing those dishes on our dining room table, loaded with a Sunday dinner of baked chicken, greens, hot water cornbread, macaroni and cheese, sweet potatoes, peach cobbler, 
served with iced tea in real glasses. From that day until the last day of the promotion, my mother was a junkie in need of a constant copper fix. She gave my little sister and me nickels to buy milk for our school lunch so she could hoard the change. She conditioned us to scan sidewalks and parkways. She went through my stepfather's change each morning. She searched between sofa cushions and car seats, ours and other people's. <laughs> Every gathering with family and friends included a shakedown for pennies. My mother even tried to convince her girlfriends to change the kitty for their weekly card game from pennies to nickels so she could hold on to their copper, but they weren't having it. The weekly count occurred on Saturdays, just after she finished washing the dinner dishes. She dumped the collected pennies on the kitchen table, and mesmerized my sister and me as her slender brown fingers turned the copper mound into neat stacks on the other side of the table. My sister would jump up and down, barely able to wait to find out if we made it to 500. I tried to play it cool, but my little heart would pound away until my mother announced the week's total. Good job, girls, she'd say when she finished counting. We just have a little ways to go. We'd be so disappointed. My mother, but my mother was smart. Dessert always came after the count. <laughs> Freshly baked cake or cookies became balm for pleasant dreams and motivation for the next week's penny hunt. After a few months of this madness, we sat down at the kitchen table for the final count. It was the last day of the promotion. Playtime? was over. This time, my mother told my sister and me to start making stacks of 10 pennies. I had just learned my times tables, so I knew that we needed 50 stacks. That made my mother smile, but my little sister was unimpressed. <laughs> Counting to 10 was the extent of her math skills at the time. We triple counted the stacks the pennies and the, penny and the stacks themselves. And after correcting for a few errors, we were good. In fact, we had five extra pennies. My mother announced that we had 30 minutes before the store closed, so we quickly shoved all those pennies into a big jar and closed the lid. My stepfather was working an extra shift, so we had to walk the six blocks to the Kroger. God, was it hot. Heat waves shimmered above the sidewalk ahead of us, and the humidity made it feel like we were wading through syrup. My mother and I took turns carrying the jar. Helping her made me feel like a big girl, but I am sure I wasn't providing her with much relief from the incredible weight of the jar. My sister was too little to be useful. Instead, <laughs> She got on my last nerve, <laughs> whining about not being able to carry the jar. When my mother and I tuned her out, propelled forward by the anticipation of ending this long journey, our family had endured hearing my mother talk about those dishes every damn day for weeks. I couldn't wait to unload those pennies and get those dishes home. We were welcomed into the store by the whoosh of Kroger's automatic doors and its blessedly cool air. 
We made a beeline to the customer service desk. How can I help you? The attendant asked with a smile. My sister complained about not being able to see. So my mother put the jar on the counter, picked her up, put her there too, but far enough away that my sister's excited bouncing wouldn't send the jar crashing to the floor. I'm here for the dishes that were in the ad, said my mother. And here's my 500 pennies, she said, proudly pointing to the jar. The attendant beamed. I just got those dishes last week, she said. It took me forever to collect those pennies. I nearly drove my family crazy. <laughs> she and my mother shared a laugh. I'll let the manager know you came for them. And she turned away to go to the manager's office. The office was actually a small room at the other end of the customer service area. It was slightly bigger than my mother's closet. A few minutes later, the attendant came out of the office, but instead of returning to us, she fussed over something at the other end of her work area. The manager took his time coming toward us. What do you want? He finally asked. My mother took a deep breath, pointed to the promotion poster and the jar and said dryly, I brought 500 pennies for the dishes, like the poster says. He looked at the jar, but not at my mother. The pennies have to be in bankrolls, he said, and started back to his office. But that's not what it says here, she said just loud enough for him to hear. No rolls, no dishes, he said without stopping and walked back to his little office. Is he going to get the dishes, I asked. No, my mother said. He said the pennies have to be in the paper rolls like they have at the bank, she added quietly. I knew not to ask any more questions. She wasn't facing me, but I knew she wasn't excited like before when she talked to the customer service lady. That man made something happen to her. She was no longer strong or fearless or magical. My mother looked weak. For the first time since we'd come in, I let my eyes shift from the customer service area to the other parts of the store. And I became very aware of our blackness. Every worker was white. The manager, the woman at the customer service desk, all the cashiers and the baggers, and the manager was the only adult male. Then I was angry at my mother. She studied that ad every time we came to the store. She should have known the pennies had to be in rolls. Now we couldn't get the dishes. Un until that moment, I didn't even know how badly I wanted them. We just stood at the counter for a while. My sister and I quietly waited for our mother to tell us what we were supposed to do next. People went about their business around us like they didn't notice us, but at the same time, I felt seen. Finally, my mother took a deep breath, straightened herself, 
and turned on a smile. How about some ice cream, she said. Yes, my sister and I shouted in unison. We did a happy dance over to the grocery carts. My mother lifted my sister and put her in the cart and the pennies in the area behind her, and we marched over to the frozen fruit dessert section at the far end of the store. You can each pick one flavor, she said. Really? <laughs> we said, wondering what had come over her. We rarely got to pick what went in the cart. Life gets complicated when you're told you can have anything you want. <laughs> 10 minutes into discussing the pros and cons of various flavors, we heard the announcement, store closing in five minutes. With no objections from our mother, we settled on three flavors, butter brickle, Neapolitan, and rainbow sherbet, which even then I knew technically wasn't ice cream. <laughs> My mother walked us slowly to the cash register at the other end of the store. One by one, she put our treats on the conveyor belt. Then she pushed the cart forward so she could face the cashier. My sister and I watched as our ice cream was put in what my mother would call a paper sack, not a bag like they call in the North. <laughs> that will be $3.64, said the cashier. My mother reached behind my sister. She picked up the jar. She unscrewed the lid. Then she slowly dumped the contents onto the <laughs> conveyor belt. <laughs> Once the last penny was out, she looked the cashier in the eyes, politely smiled and said, I'm paying for this with pennies. This story was recorded live at Found Social House in Evanston in May 2017. It was curated by Amy Tin and Vince Pagan, directed by Liz Rice, with sound design by Billy Eline. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a City Arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Arts Work Fund, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Amanda Delheimer, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.